0: Good morning, Fellowship Greenville. So good to see you this morning. Um, uh, If this is your first time here at Fellowship Greenville, we want to uh, extend a special welcome to you. We're glad you're checking us out this morning, and uh, we hope you feel right at home. One of the things that we want you to know about us is that most often on a Sunday morning, you'll find us teaching through whole books of the Bible, and uh, we do that for two reasons. One reason is when God gave us the 66 books of the Bible, that was his way of revealing himself to us. He revealed himself in the 66 books of our Bible, and so we want to teach the Bible the way God gave us the Bible. And then a second reason we study our way through whole books of the Bible is because we're constantly encouraging you to personally read God's Word on a daily basis, one of the things that you can do, if you don't have a plan, we have a plan called the Community Bible Reading Plan. This is a schedule of readings that go that we'll be going through throughout the year. These are available out in the commons. It's a really simple plan. Uh, you read a couple of chapters a day. You write down your biggest takeaway, and then you uh, share that takeaway via text with a group of people who are all who that you have. Uh, you know, soliciting to become a part of a group that you want to be in. You make up your own group. And so you read through the plan with them and you share your insights. And so um, the second reason that we teach through books of the Bible is because we encourage you to read uh, through books of the Bible. So we want to help you do that by teaching book by book. Now, right now, we're at the very end of our series. We've got one more message in James And we'll be finishing up, but uh, we've been preaching through the book of James. And James was a half brother of Jesus, and he was the pastor of the first church of Jerusalem. You see, not long after the church started, early Christians, early Jewish Christians, came under attack because they had put their faith in Jesus as Israel's Messiah and the Savior of the world. And they were run out of Jerusalem. They were scattered across the Roman Empire, and their lives were hard. They were ridiculed and persecuted. They encountered all kinds of various trials and troubles, uh, pain and suffering. And James wrote this letter to encourage them to endure hardship by putting their faith into action. And last week, we saw how James called his friends to patiently endure the hardships they were facing by praying about them. Now, if you didn't hear last week's message, I encourage you to download our Fellowship Greenville app, FG app, or go online to the website and, uh, and give it a listen. Lots of helpful insights there about this whole very confusing, very often misunderstood relationship between prayer and healing, which I said last week, this would be a two-part message And so here's the approach I'm gonna take this morning. First of all, I wanna walk back through the passage that we studied last week, James 5, 13 to 18. And I wanna remind you of some important things that we learned. But I also wanna give some further explanation and illustration and application to those important points. And then second, I I want to address some of the uh, things that you sometimes hear uh, that come up in conversations about prayer and healing and faith and, and God. So, you ready? We're going to jump in. James chapter 5. I'll we'll put it up on the screen. Follow along as I read. Uh, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? And we looked at last week that that means so sick that he can't get out of bed and come to see the elders. So, he, so James says, let them let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with, the name of the oil, uh, 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 with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, in this context, the sickness that James referred to, refers to here is probably a result of this man's sin, So the sick man was calling for the elders, the spiritual leaders of the church, to come pray over him so he could confess his sins and make things right with God and the community of faith, and he's desiring both spiritual and physical healing. Now, as we said, not all sickness comes from sin. Jesus was very clear on that point, but in some cases, there can be a sin-sickness connection But the fact that James says right here, if he has committed sins, implies that not all sickness is the result of sin. So there may be times when you simply want the elders to pray for you and for your healing. And so you can call them. And then James goes on to say, actually, if you do what I'm going to say next, it may be very rare that you need to even call the elders. Verse 16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for each other that you may be healed. He says, if you're doing life with a few friends, if you're in a small group of folks with whom you can share your struggles and your doubts and your sins, a small group of friends who you know them and they know you intimately, and you pray for one another, then, he says, the prayer support you receive in a community like that will be more than sufficient for you to experience God's healing grace in all of its fullness. See how verse 16 says, you don't necessarily need special kinds of spiritual leaders praying for you. You can, but all you really need is just a few people praying with you and for you. So verse 16 says, we can do for each other what the elders do for the sick man. We can pray powerfully for each other. And then James goes on in verses 17 to 18, and he gives us a story about Elijah that makes these two same points. Verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Yep, he was God's prophet, but James is making the point that Elijah was just like us. He walked with God just like we walk with God. He's saying his prophet status didn't make his prayer any more effective than your your, your average Joe or Jane Christian who loves God and seeks to live out God's will in their daily life. Verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed fervently that it wouldn't rain, and for three years and six months it didn't rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, the heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. So again, James implies in this statement that you don't need great numbers of people praying for you. All you need, really, is one single average Joe or Jane Christian who is serious about their relationship with God. Their prayers, he's saying, can't accomplish much. So once and for all, get rid of the wrong-headed thinking that a pastor's prayer is more effective than your best friend's prayer. Get rid of the thinking that uh, you need a lot of people praying for you in order to get your prayers answered. Verse 15 says, one man's prayer is very powerful. And verse 16 uses the Elijah story to make the point that a small community of people who pray faithfully and fervently, their prayers are very powerful. Now years ago, there was an article in Leadership Magazine entitled Beyond Prayer Request. And uh, Chandler has posted a link to the article in your online uh, sermon notes, and it's linked to our website and our app. If you want to download the article, uh, it's very easy to do that. And really, I would say that every community group should download it and discuss it because it's really thought-provoking, which to my thinking, we need our thoughts provoked about how the scripture teaches us to pray versus how we've been taught to pray in our American Christian culture. Anyway, the author writes this. He says, I don't know why we think we have a better chance of getting prayers answered if more people are in on it. Like many of you, I receive prayer requests on the internet begging me to pray for people I don't know about needs I'm not involved in. God answers God's answers to prayer are not based on a tally sheet. He, uh, prayer was designed for two or three faithful believers to focus on, agree, and fervently intercede rather than enlisting a large number of uninvolved people. And he describes prayer this way. He says, real prayer is the process of getting involved with someone's need Praying as best, we can, as best we can to understand how God is working in that person's life and then staying in that, in that situation until we see God act. That's James 5, 16. Now think about it. Do you really want a God, to be, 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 a God to be the kind of God that just counts prayers? That he won't answer your prayer until the prayer meter in heaven comes all the way up and he goes, finally enough people to answer the prayer. I mean, do you really think that God has no plan or purpose for the things that he allows to come into our lives, and he's just waiting for a majority vote to tell him what to do? Um, there's absolutely no scriptural evidence to support the thinking that the greater the number of people praying, the greater the chance you have of getting that prayer answered. None, absolutely none. So prayer is not about having very spiritual people pray for you. It can be, but that's, not, that, that, that's just a, a, a part of it. It's not about how many people pray for you. It's about, the issue is getting involved with someone's need, praying as best you can to, det- to understand how God's working in that person's life, and then staying in the situation until we see God act. And that means we should all be in a community of people who are open and honest with their sins and struggles. We should all be in a group, involved in a small group of friends with whom you can talk about what God's doing in your life and what you need him to do in your life. And then together you ask God uh, for the specific things you need. And then then as God directs your prayers, if he's not answering that particular prayer, like, like Paul, you pray three times for God to remove something, he doesn't do it, you change your prayer, help me rest in my weakness so I can experience your strength through me. It's that kind of thing. That's the context, the real context for inter- intercessory prayer. Now, there's something else here in the Elijah story um, that, uh, that we need to pay attention to. Last week, we talked about two phrases that uh, occur in this passage um, before the uh, Elijah illustration that help us define our posture in prayer And two phrases, do you remember what they were? Praying in the name of Jesus and the prayer of faith. And uh, let me just review these quickly. We said last week that praying in the name of the Lord is prayer that is in keeping with how Jesus did ministry, how he lived and did ministry. He, Jesus, looked for where the Father was working so he can join him in his work. And essentially, it's the same thing. Listen, it's the same thing as praying for God's will to be done. Now, I've had people tell me over the years that uh, if you pray and ask God for something, but then you tack onto the back of the prayer, Lord, your will be done, they tell me that that negates everything you just prayed for because it doesn't show faith that God will give you what you ask. and That, that, that thinking is based on a, on a couple of wrong assumptions. The first, the, the wrong assumption is that that prayer, the goal of prayer is that I get God to give me what I want. That's all prayer is. It's me talking to God so I can get what I want from him. The second thing, uh, the second assumption is saying that if I get all my words right, then God will answer my prayer. So if I pray in his name and I pray under the blood and, and all of these Christianized American phrases that we pull out and load into our prayers and we get all of our prayers right, then God will answer our prayers. That's not true. Listen, prayer that does not stand in a posture of submission to God's will is not prayer in Jesus' name. It's prayer in your name because my wants and my agenda mean more to me than what God might want to do. So prayer in Jesus' name is prayer that's in keeping with how Jesus lived and did ministry, Uh, and what Jesus did, he looked for where the Father was working so he could join him there. And when the Spirit prompted him to act, you could say he acted in faith, in faith that God would do exactly what he was purposing to do. That's praying in the name of Jesus. The prayer of faith is prayer that asks God to do what he's told you to do. To ask God to do what he's told you to do. Lord's Prayer, we pray that... uh, that God's kingdom would come to earth, his will would be done on earth. Why do we pray that? Because God said he would do it. And so we're to pray what he, how he leads us to pray. And so if the spirit prompts us to pray in a certain way, then like Elijah, we pray earnestly and fervently for God to do what we believe he told us to do. And we stick with that prayer until we see it through. If that doesn't have to happen after some time of prayer, we ask God to show us, how we should pray differently than we're praying. Look back at verse 17 one more time. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it wouldn't rain for three and a half years and it did not rain on the earth. And uh, he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. Now you see that phrase, prayed earnestly. What that literally, how that literally translates is he prayed with prayer. Like what, prayed with prayer? As opposed to what? As opposed to praying with words. Simply praying with words. And this ties back to the prayer of faith, uh, prayer offered in faith in verse 15. <clears throat> Fervent prayer, we could say, persistent prayer, here in this verse, refers to prayer that comes from knowing something of what God wants to do. It's spirit-prompted prayer. And when God shows you what he wants to do, you stick with it, you keep praying about it until you get his answer. God told Elijah he was going to stop the rain, and Elijah prayed for the rain to stop. And it didn't rain for three and a half years. Then God told Elijah he was going to send rain, and Elijah prayed for God to send rain. And in other words, he could pray in faith because God told him. And what he was going to do, and so he prayed fervently. He prayed with prayer that was in keeping with God's word and God's revealed will, and he wouldn't let up until the rain came. Let me read you that part of the story. He goes to Mount Carmel. After God says, I'm going to send rain, he goes up to Mount Carmel. It says that he bowed low to the earth. He prayed with his face between his knees, and it says that Elijah said to his servant, go and look toward the sea for rain. The servant went and looked, and then, He returned to Elijah and said, I didn't see anything. Seven times Elijah told him to go and look. That's what James is referring to as fervent prayer. He was persistent in asking God to do what he said he would do. And finally, the seventh time, his servant said to him, I saw a little cloud about the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. Then Elijah shouted, Hurry to Ahab and tell him, climb into your chariot and race back home. If you don't hurry, the rain will stop you and soon the sky was black with clouds and a heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm. That's fervent prayer. That's persistence in prayer. Praying for what you know is God's will until God answers that prayer. And the Elijah story makes that point perfectly. Elijah didn't pray with words, just pray with words. He didn't just pray for what he wanted or the people wanted. He prayed with prayer in line with what God said he would do. So what do we say? Real prayer, praying with prayer, is the process of getting involved with someone's need, you and a few other people, and praying as best we can to to understand how God is working and then praying for that and staying in the situation until we see God act. Now this was brought home to me several years ago um, I had recently read the article, Beyond Prayer Request, and it was thought-provoking. And I was asking God to show me how uh, I, we could put this into, into practice uh, in the church. And uh, it just so happened the elders and pastors uh, went away on a retreat. And, and in that meeting, one of the elders at the time, a man named Eric, asked us to pray for his tinnitus, a problem with the ringing in the ears. And, and tinnitus can be mild. I have... A mild, a mild tinnitus problem. Um, I never hear silence, if you can hear silence, you understand what I'm saying. I, it always sounds like I've been to a rock concert, and, uh, but it's not severe. But tinnitus can become so severe that it can lead to deep depression, and even some people have committed suicide because it's something you can't ever get away from. And so Eric's tinnitus had become extremely severe, and he asked the elders to pray, and the elders... Uh, Uh, and pastors prayed with him, anointed him with oil, and uh, we asked Eric if God had uh, used this illness to reveal any sin in his life, and he wasn't aware of anything like that. And so we prayed uh, for healing, and we asked God to show us what he wanted to do in Eric's life. And when we finished our time in prayer, we walked outside, and I don't remember which elder or which pastor said this, but um, somebody said, does anybody have the sense that God wants to heal Eric? And I said I do, and then, and two or three other people said I do, and so several of us, about four of us, felt that the Spirit had prompted us to pray for God to heal Eric's tinnitus, and we began to meet every Tuesday every afternoon at four o'clock. We met together to pray and ask God to heal Eric. Different ones of us came each week, but there was a few of us that consistently showed up week after week after week, and we had this confidence that God would see Eric through this. We didn't know when. We didn't know how long it would take, but the Spirit seemed to prompt us to pray for healing, and each week when we came together, we would talk, and Eric would share his struggles. Uh, Sometimes he he struggled with feeling that God had abandoned him. Um, He he confessed how he, he, he wasn't always handling the tinnitus very, very well, and uh, he talked about the disappointment of going to doctor after doctor and getting different answers, and, and the discouragement of how nothing seemed to be working. But week after week, we asked God for healing, and we asked God what else he would like to do for Eric, and we saw God answer many prayers in those week by week prayers for wisdom and guidance and strength, And the ability to uh, trust God no matter what or how long it took. And ultimately, we saw God answer our prayers. And through medical means, Eric was able to regain the uh, normalcy in his life. And he still uh, functions normally today. Now that's what I came to see both scripturally and experientially as praying in faith. And praying in the name of the Lord. That's, 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 that's what I came to understand as praying with prayer. Spirit prompted prayer. And it fit perfectly with James 5. It fit perfectly with what I would learned in Beyond Prayer Request. Now interestingly enough, um, as I was thinking about these little prayer groups and everything, at the same time we were meeting with Eric on Tuesday, every Every Wednesday at four o'clock, a different group of friends met to pray with and for a woman named Linda, who was the wife of one of our pastors at the time. And Linda was battling cancer, and our group prayed for her healing. We, but we also prayed that, and asked God how we should pray for her. And I don't, I don't know how to explain this, but, but the group of friends that were praying for her, we didn't have the sense that God was going to heal her. But, you know, we, we could be missing it. But we didn't have the same sense that we had with Eric. And so, uh, but we would pray. Still, we would pray for her healing. But week by week, our focus was on what Linda needed God to do in her life that week. We would, we would meet and we would talk. And Linda would share her struggles with understanding the whole matter of healing. She confessed her disappointment with God. She confessed her struggles to hold on to her belief in the goodness of God in the midst of her pain. And we would pray with her about all of those things. And week by week, we would ask her, what do you need God to do for you this week? And we would pray for that. And one time we felt led to pray that Linda would be pain-free. And God answered that prayer for several months. One time we prayed for her to have wisdom about whether or not She should continue uh, a chemo treatment that she was on. She was on a very aggressive plan and she was really struggling with it. And we prayed that week that uh, we prayed for her that week. And that week, Dr. Gluck came in and said he was going to stop that plan and try something else. And she was really encouraged by what was absolutely a specific, direct answer to our prayers. We prayed another time about uh, another decision uh, that she needed to make by a certain time, we pr- and she wanted wisdom to make the right decision, and peace that she could rest in that decision. We prayed for that when the time came. She made the decision, and she had peace about it. It was like, you know the gospel story about the, the four friends that bring, the, bring their incapacitated friend to Jesus, and they... And they uh, they, they tore a hole in the roof and they weren't a roofing company. I mean, they, they tore a hole in the roof and they let their friend down in front of Jesus. That was the picture. That was the, the mental image we had of ourselves and carrying Linda to God in prayer. Four crazy friends. And, uh, but it wasn't God's plan to heal her. Um, it was God's plan to take her home to be with him. God, in his infinite wisdom, didn't grant the healing we hope for, but he answered so many of those daily and weekly prayers. It was abundantly clear that God cared for her, that his fingerprints was, were all over what was happening. And seeing that really, really helped her in all of that time. Listen, I. Uh, uh, Although it's hard for us to let go of the people we love, and even though sometimes we get mad at God for not answering our prayers for healing, you gotta know this, you gotta write this down and tell yourself this over and over, but God does, does no wrong whenever he decides to take one of his children home. He does no wrong when he desi- decides to take one of his children home. You understand, God always heals, right? He always heals. Sometimes it's in this life. Sometimes it's in the next. In this life, when we pray for healing, sometimes God says yes. Sometimes he says not yet because there's a path that he wants us to walk to grow us in our faith. And sometimes we walk the path of faith right into his presence. God does no wrong when he decides to call one of his children home, no matter what their age. I mean, <laughs> heaven is what we're all longing for, right? And, and being in the face-to-face presence of Jesus is better than anything this world offers. It's just hard for us to let go. I got this email from a woman after last week's message that um, shows in real life how this is put into practice. I asked her if I could share it, and she graciously said yes. She said, your sermon today touched my heart because my husband struggled with so much pain for three years with no option for relief, and it stopped him from enjoying life. I prayed, and others did, for God to take some of the pain away. He didn't. After a while, I just started praying for God to please help him and please help me. He did, but not in the way that we wanted on June 3rd, 2021, my husband passed away in his sleep. He, it took me quite a while to realize my prayer was answered God's way, not mine. No more pain, and now he's smiling that beautiful face at the face of God. Thanks for the encouraging message. Doesn't, doesn't that story, she, she's lived out what we're talking about? And can you hear the peace? That she has her heart full of sadness full of joy resting in peace she prayed for the pain to be removed when it wasn't she changed her praying for God just help us just help us and one night her husband went to sleep and woke up and woke up in the presence of the Lord that's prayer in the name of the Lord that's the prayer of faith that flows out of both a sad and joyful submission to God's will for our lives. My friend Michael Easley preached a funeral for a good friend of his, well known by many in some, some circles, a mentor of his. And in the funeral, he said, I've said goodbye to many friends. One day they will say hello to me. Now, with all that said, that's, the, that's just the first half of the message. <laughs> With all that said, let me address a few things that people sometimes say in conversations about prayer and faith and healing in God. And I'm going to do this in the same pattern that Jesus followed in the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard it said, if you have enough faith, God will heal you. If you have enough faith, God will answer your prayer. But I say to you, the amount of faith you have is not a condition for answered prayer. The amount of faith you have is not a condition for answered prayer. Now, now you understand when I say, but I say to you. I'm saying, I'm saying each time there is no basis in Scripture for the idea that praying in faith means praying with the confidence that God will give you carte blanche whatever you want that if you really, really pray hard, and if you really, really, really believe that God is bound, he has to answer your prayer. It's just not true, the Bible doesn't teach it. Now sometimes Jesus healed people and scripture doesn't say anything about them having faith. Like the story that I talked about a minute ago, the four crazy friends that tore a hole in the roof and and put their paralyzed friend in front of Jesus. Nothing is said about that man's faith. Now, Jesus comments on their faith. So if someone ever says to you, well, God hasn't healed you because you don't have enough faith, then you say to them, why don't you have enough faith for God to heal me? Sometimes Jesus healed people with great faith, like the Roman centurion who said to Jesus, oh, Jesus, you don't have to come to my house to heal my servant, you just say the word and I know he'll be healed. And Jesus said the word and it was done. Jesus marveled at his faith. But it wasn't a condition for him to answer that prayer. Sometimes Jesus granted healing to someone with very small faith, like the man who asked Jesus to heal his epileptic son. The man came to Jesus and said, Jesus, help us if you can do anything. And Jesus said, what do you mean if I can do anything? Everything is possible to the one who believes And the dad says, Lord, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. That's not much faith. But despite his grain of mustard seed size faith, Jesus healed the man's son. There's a false prayer formula that goes like this. Go ahead and put it on the screen. Prayer for what I want plus really, 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 really believing equals getting what I want. No, no. Getting the answer to your prayer does not depend on the size of your faith. You never put your faith in faith. You put your faith in God and the promises of God. God and the promises of God are the object of faith. In our prayer collective, this was so good. This was last week. Have you picked up a prayer collective thing yet? It's so good. In the prayer collective, day 26... Prayer is called Trustworthy Father. And the prayer is, Father, you're not calling us to trust in our ability to trust, but to trust in you and your trustworthiness. Now, isn't that good? That is genuine prayer, asking the Father for what you want. If God doesn't answer that prayer, you trust in the trustworthiness of God to act for your highest good and his greatest glory. So prayer is is not conditioned on how much faith you have. You just need enough faith to carry you to God in prayer. And you ask him for what you need and you trust him to give you what you know is best. Okay, enough said. You have heard it said that prayer changes God's mind. But I say to you, the mind of God does not change because God does not change. The mind of God does not change because do- God does not change, and Scripture clearly teaches that God does not change. He is all-knowing, all-wise, all-powerful. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His plans and purposes are perfect. They don't need revision or improving upon. I mean, because think about it. When we change our minds, it's because there's a better option available. And to say that God changes his mind would mean that God hasn't considered all the options. And somehow his plans and purposes are not perfect. And he needs somebody to kind of fill in the blanks and tell him what he should do. Really, no way, no how. And God doesn't change his mind because of a majority vote. Numbers 23, 19, this should be a scripture memory verse. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent or change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? And has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Now really that should be enough said. But people ask, but didn't God change his mind when like, uh, like he said he was gonna destroy Nineveh and then the people repented and he changed his mind, didn't destroy the city? Yes, scripture says that. So is there a contradiction in scripture? Absolutely not. When you take the whole counsel of God into account, God is holy and he must and will punish sin. He said he would destroy Nineveh because of their sin unless the people repented and they did repent of their sin, and so God relented. He changed from displaying his holiness to displaying his mercy. So the change was consistent with his nature, but he didn't change his mind. Bible often uses language like this to explain God in ways that uh, we can understand. Like when the Bible says God remembered Noah, or God remembered Abraham, or Moses, or, or whoever, that doesn't mean he forgot those people. Like Noah was on the ark for 40 days and 40 nights and then God was off in some far-flung corner of the universe and he forgot all about Noah but then there was something that, oh, ooh, I had a string around my finger. Yeah, Noah's out in the middle of an ocean. I gotta do something for him. No, of course not. Theologians call this an anthropomorphism, a way of talking about the infinite, all-knowing, all-wise, all-powerful God in a way that we can understand, but even more, in a way that we can relate to. This is spirit-inspired language, intentionally used to help us see the infinite, almighty God in ways that are personal and relational. Prayer doesn't change God's mind. But, prayer changes things. Prayer changes circumstances. Prayed with someone several weeks ago about a job. And they came up to me this morning and said, God answered the job. I get to stay in Greenville. I get paid more than what I was making. It was a dire situation. God answers prayers. He does that. Now, God has given us the privilege of prayer because there are some things, listen, there are some things that he's determined to do only in response to prayer. Just like God doesn't arrange the stars in the heavens to spell out a gospel track so people can get saved. No, the main way people come to faith in Christ is through us, is through someone sharing the gospel with another person or with a group of people or someone who prepares a gospel booklet that tells people how to trust Christ for salvation. God uses people, human means to reach people. And the same thing is true of prayer. There are some things that God determines that he will do only as people pray. Now last week our missional impact team spent some time with our missionaries in Japan, Phil and Debbie Melton, and the uh, subject of prayer came up and and Phil talked about how many specific answers to prayer that they had seen in their ministry in in in, in Japan. Now, uh, I'm just going to give you three of them. I'm going to try to do these quickly. He said, The first house we lived in was over 100 years old and had a concrete kitchen and an outhouse for a restroom. When we were preparing to move to our new location, we prayed specifically for a kitchen to entertain guests and a flushing toilet and a separate room for an office for ministry and a yard for, kids, for, yard for the kids to play in that would, be, that would keep them safe." God gave us, in addition to all that, two toilets, an office above the garage, a park across the street from our house where the kids play every day, and affordable rent. He says, for three years, we prayed for land for Camp uh, Rafayada, which, he says, we named and begun purchasing supplies for before we had land. So he's pr- this is praying in faith. God had laid this on their heart. They're praying in faith. We prayed for enough land for a camping area and also a recreation area, specifically divided by... They're praying for land that was divided with a creek flowing through it. I don't know why. That's what they prayed for. And we prayed for electricity and water to be available at the campsite and that it would be large enough to host 120 people. In addition to all of those above specific answers to prayer... God gave us property that had a public sewage line and that already came through the property and an athletic field and lighted tennis courts kept up by the government, which we could use at any time right across a creek from the campsite property. We saved money for six years to buy property to build our Filipino ministry church building, and then we prayed for another four years for land that was large enough to build a 200 seat church, uh, 200 seat church building and, and, and enough parking for that church. We found four different plots of land that would have been suitable for our church, but each one of them had drawbacks, but we thought we could overcome them. But one at a time over a period of four years, each of the properties fell through after about a year of negotiations for the property. Two were sold to someone while we were negotiating. But each time a potential property fell through, we would always say, that's not God saying no. It's God saying, I have something better. And it was true. After four years of prayer and searching and negotiations and rejection, seven years ago, we were were taken to some land that had actually been for sale for that whole four years. We made an offer for about a third of their asking price, which is already about a third, of the asking price for land in that area, and they accepted our offer within two weeks. Parking for over 40 cars, an existing building that we renovated for immediate use as a church, and land for recreation, as well as our new church building which was constructed with the help of Jim Star and and a group from Fellowship Greenville. Within 18 months of purchasing the property, we were worshiping in land and a building that was more than we could ever think or ask. God answers prayer. God answers prayer. Prayer changes things. You know that. So pray. Ask God what you need. Ask him for what you, what you want. But as you're praying, if you pray three times for something and God doesn't give it to you, then, then ask God, are you doing something else? You can see that. It's all over The Melton's prayers for property and church building and all that kind of thing. Prayer doesn't change God's mind, but you and I know well that prayer changes circumstances and prayer changes things. Prayer will not change a person's will. You can pray for somebody over and over and over again that God would save them, but he's not gonna save them against their will. But you can pray that God would send people to share the gospel and give them multiple opportunities to hear and respond. There's all kinds of things you can pray that God will do. All right, finally, you have heard it said, you need to be persistent in prayer in order for God to answer your prayer. But I say to you, no. (laughs) Scripture doesn't teach that either. I mean, I hear you, I hear you like, oh, but it's very loud. But Charlie, what about Jesus' parable about the friend that comes to his grumpy neighbor at midnight and says, I got an out-of-town guest here. I don't have any food to feed him. You, please give me some bread. Give me three loaves of bread. And, and, and the grouchy neighbor just keeps telling him, no, go away, go away. I, 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 I got to get some sleep. My children are in bed with me. I, I got to get some sleep. The, and the neighbor doesn't give up. And so finally, the grumpy, grouchy, sleepy neighbor gets up and gives him what he's asking for. Now, Charlie, doesn't that teach us to be persistent in prayer? No. It teaches the exact opposite. In this parable, let me just read it to you. And Jesus said to them, "Suppose one of your suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight." And you ask him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from when, don't bother me. The door is shut. My children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him many things, but because of his friend's shameless impudence, the audacity of being persistent, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. So I tell you, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and it'll be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it'll be open. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now I hear you, you're saying, well see right there, it says it, ask, keep and keep on asking, Seek, keep on seeking. God will give me what I want. That is not what this is ta- uh, teaching because in this parable, Jesus is teaching us about God, not the widow. This is a how much more story. It's a story in contrast. In other words, God is nothing like the grumpy neighbor who has to be pestered into Answering our prayers. You don't have to hound God to move him into action. You ask for, and you seek and you knock and you will get an answer because, and this is the heart of the parable, the end is the, par, uh, the heart of the parable, because your heavenly father knows how to give good gifts to his children. The greatest gift being the Holy Spirit. And he's not talking about receiving the Holy Spirit when we trust salvation. He's talking about the daily ministry Of the Spirit. God has given us His Spirit, the Spirit who prompts us when we pray, the Spirit who intercedes for us when we don't know how to pray, the Spirit who gives us wisdom and guidance and strength to endure hard times as we lean into Him. This is not a parable about how we should pray, it's a parable about how God will hear and answer you when you pray. Jesus teaches us how to pray in the first four verses of what we call the Lord's Prayer. And I'm not going to read that to you, but I'm going to give you a thumbnail sketch of what he's saying in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus says, first of all, pray for God's preeminence. Ask that God's name would be revered and honored in all the earth. Ask that you would live your life every day for the honor and glory of his name. That's the first part. We ask for his preeminence because we're so self-absorbed. Pray for provision. Ask God to give you what you need each day to, for God to provide your daily needs. And because of your faith in Jesus, ask that, that you would experience the grace of ongoing forgiveness as you daily humble yourself and confess your sins and repent of your sins. And we ask for his provision because we're so dependent on him to give us what we need. Pray for protection. Pray that, he, that uh, God would protect you from all evil. Pray that he would not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to resist. We pray for his protection because we're so fragile. That's the pattern Jesus gives us as to how we are to pray. And he's telling us in this parable that God never tires of hearing your prayers for these kinds of things. In other words, God is not like some grumpy neighbor who says, would you quit worrying me to death with all of your piddly requests for your trivial pursuits? I mean, can't you see that I got a big universe to run here and I've had enough of listening to your troubles over and over again? Leave me alone, I need some rest. God's not like that. This is a parable about God's willingness and availability to hear and answer our prayers for his preeminence and his provision and his protection. This parable is about the trustworthiness of your all-knowing, all-wise, all-loving, all-powerful heavenly Father who always hears and answers your prayers as a good Father knows best. And trusting that his best is best. Especially when his best is different than what you're asking for. That's the big idea of the parable. Our good, good father never gives us serpents and scorpions. Only good gifts. And he's always awake and attentive in all of your midnights. So here's... So, 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 genuine prayer is not about how much faith you have. Genuine prayer is not about trying to get God to change his mind. Genuine prayer is not about persistence in prayer. Genuine prayer is this. Genuine prayer is our expression of heartfelt dependence on God to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And it's trusting in the goodness of God to answer your prayers as he knows best. Now, um, you know, since Jason came on staff a little over a year ago as pastor of Vision and Spiritual Formation, and since Zach Rigsby has come on as community group pastor, we've gone from having 55 community groups in 2021 to over 87 community groups now. That's going from about 629 people in, in small groups to over 1,000 people in small groups and, and, and that, to me, is really exciting. Now I want you to think about this. What do you think would happen in the life and the ministry of this church if those 90 groups begin to pray in line with what we talked about these last two Sundays? Praying for each other and the trials and troubles we all go through. Praying for each other to find the wisdom and strength and guidance and endurance that we need in suffering and pain and sickness, praying for healing and restoration, but always praying and asking God to show the group what else they need to pray for or how else could they be praying, especially if it becomes clear that God is up to something different. I tell you, that would radically change our lives personally. And it would radically transform our church, our community life, because we would see and hear all kinds of stories of how God answered prayer, both for the specific prayer requests we prayed for and also for the prayers that we modified along the way when our merciful Heavenly Father, our compassionate Heavenly Father, our good, good Father was doing something different. That's what God wants for Fellowship Greenville. For you to be in a community group, a small group with four crazy friends. (laughs) And you tear a hole in the roof of heaven and you lay your request down in front of Jesus and you watch for how he's going to answer those prayers. Would you bow with me? Take a moment to sit in silence before God. Just... Just take a moment. Take a breath. Ask God to help you bring your prayer life more in line with His Word. Thank God for the privilege of prayer. Ask Him to answer your specific requests for what you need. But ask God to answer all your prayers in the way he knows best. So you can always say, it is well with my soul.